Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now on to the show. Hi, y'all. This is Sasha here for two quick announcements before we get on to our interview for today. First of all, if you are looking for quality supplements, quality tonic herbs, some specialty food items, and you're in and around Calgary, then please go check out Lotus Herbal Health, a great family-run store that has two locations in Calgary. You can find them at lotusherbalhealth.ca to find out where their locations are, or you can shop online and they will pretty much deliver anywhere. So quality supplements, tonic herbs, great staff, check out lotusherbalhealth.ca. Secondly, I want to announce the relaunch of my program called Your Conscious Pregnancy and Parenting Guide, which consists of experts in their fields around the world on consciousness and parenting and education and nutrition and dentistry and homeopathy and more. This is a program I created after my son was born about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that. And I am now very concerned after the events of 2020 for our future generations. And I believe the time is now for conscious parenting and for conscious parents to rise up and take, to take back our pregnancies and our births and our parenting and the resilience of our children and of future generations. The time is now. We change the course of history by changing the course of our future generations. And we do that by consciously raising them, consciously birthing them, consciously conceiving them, feeding them good food, and taking back the responsibility of raising healthy, well-adjusted, robust people. Resilience. It's time to build resilience. So please go check out sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide, and you will be able to check out all of the amazing material in there. It's time for us to understand how our worldviews are formed, how our self-views are formed, and how to impact that and how that impacts the society on a whole. So check it out, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. And now on to the show. Hey everyone, Sasha here for Sovereign Collective Podcast with another interview for you. Thanks for joining me today. Before we get started with my guest, I just want to mention my program on conscious pregnancy and parenting. I feel that our kids are in big trouble these days and it's time for us to take back every single part of their lives from the point of conception to our births, to our pregnancies, our births, educating them, feeding them, taking care of them. We need to take it all back. They are targeted. They are being groomed in schools. They are being confused. They are being taught inappropriate things and being led to confusion. And what, how do you control a person when they're afraid and when they're confused and they don't know what they stand for? So I really urge you to check out my program on conscious pregnancy and parenting. It is called your conscious pregnancy and parenting guide. It's at the sovereigncollective.org. If you look at the store tab or sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. I've got amazing people in there. Kelly Brogan's in there. Dr. Berlando, Daniel Vitalis, David Wolf, 
Dr. Bruce Lipton. I'm going to be interviewing Sally Fallon soon. There's so many gems in there, experts in parenting and pregnancy and consciousness and conception and education and dentistry. Amazing resource. You won't find anything like it. So please check it out. Your kids are worth it and you will never regret putting your resources and time and effort into your children. And with that, now on to our guest today. My guest today is Mike Donio, a former scientist. So let's, we're going to find out why he's former soon, but first let's learn a little bit about him. So Mike Donio has a degree in biochemistry and molecular biology with a minor in chemistry, which is actually my degree was in chemistry from the University of Massachusetts and a master's in biotechnology from Johns Hopkins. He has 20 years of experience, including 15 years in biotech and the pharmaceutical industry. So he has a lot of history in a lot of interesting fields these days that are, uh, I don't know. They're not. They're not being very favorable to him now. We'll wonder. Well, we'll find out why. So Mike <laughs> was fired from his most recent position at a biotech company in immuno immuno oncology, where he was a senior scientist developing antibodies to treat cancer. A whole cancer industry. I want to talk to you about the cancer industry as mm. well, because that is surely an industry that uh, is at risk if we actually find a cure, isn't it? So. Um, And so why was he fired? He was fired for sticking to his morals and his strongly held religious beliefs and not capitulating to taking the poisonous genocidal injection in order to keep his job. Imagine that. There are too few people. I've been saying this from the very beginning. This only happens if people comply. And when you comply, you're complicit. You're complicit, whether you think so or know so or intend to be so. So too many people identify. I think this is a result of our our major identifying of what's outside of us and what we do and not truly knowing who we are. And if we take those things away from us, who are we? So we capitulate to things that we wouldn't do if we weren't forced to do. So I thank you, Mike, for joining me today. I thank you for holding strongly to your convictions and being a really great example for your children and your family and your colleagues. And hopefully you are an inspiration to them all. To, to stand up and step out and say, no, this is not right on many, many fronts. So thank you for joining me today. I look forward to hearing your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I, I'm so grateful for every and any opportunity to, to speak out and hopefully encourage more people to do the same thing because we, we really need more. The more voices that are willing to stand up and be heard, hopefully the louder those voices will be and the greater the chance that People will, will start to take notice of what's what's kind of really going on. And that's how we shine a light on all this this darkness that's consumed us these last few years. And the darkness is darker <laughs> than I would have ever thought. So, And you have dealt in, like, you have a history you've also did. I didn't talk about all the fields that you've worked in, but you've worked in the area of HIV, and now you're in cancer. And these are some... You know, there's some shady characters that keep coming up in areas, you know, now with this injection and HIV before and things like that. So let's let maybe talk about your story a little bit. So what happened? Why? How was it that you let go? And are you are you trying to mount some kind of are you trying to get some remedy from your employer in any way? Where's where's the status of that right now? Yeah, so I'm I'm I am in the process of considering options to 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 fight back in i guess in a legal manner um and you know for for that reason i can't get too much into the specifics of how things went down uh at my former employer um 
and that's something that I, I hope will come to fruition, you know, somewhat in the near future as things continue to um, mount up, as the evidence and data continues to mount up, showing how dangerous uh, this experimental therapy is and has been and the, the damage it's done over the last year plus. Um, I hope, you know, our, the, the case will be sh continually strengthened. And so it's just a matter of kind of waiting till the, the time is right to do that. But that's definitely something that is that is on my radar. And uh, I've got connected with a, a great attorney um, that's helping me out. And so, you know, definitely looking to fight back in multiple different different ways. Nice. And what was the response of your colleagues when you decided to not go ahead? And did, were, do you have any other colleagues that followed in your footsteps? Yeah, unfortunately, the company that I came from was a, a very small biotech company in, um, so I, as you said, the immuno-oncology space. So this is, you know, oncology is huge. Immuno-oncology is this kind of new growing hot area that's looking at therapies that are supposed to stimulate the immune system to attack cancer cells is, is the idea. That's not entirely uh, accurate, but that's, that's, the, that's the idea. So I was at a very small startup company that was clinical stage, but it, still a very small group. And unfortunately, even people that kind of were surprised by the extent to which they were pushing these things on people still, I was the only one that actually in the end stood up and said no. And even after I was ultimately let go, people were surprised. They couldn't believe that they followed through on it, but I haven't heard of anybody else at my company that's done it. Now I've, I've connected with and uh, heard about scientists and people in the industry at, um, other companies, big pharma companies that have said no and been terminated and things. So, I mean, it's, there's definitely people that have pushed back throughout the industry because it's definitely become an industry wide thing to push this on, on employees. Mm -hmm. Kind of a worldwide thing. <laughs> really. Yeah. In Canada, I think we're the only country now that's not allowed to fly out of our country without getting it, which is insane. Mm. Never have we had such a deadly injection. The numbers are astronomical and they're still pushing it right in front of your face. It's like, this, this, it's like these are not the droids you're looking for, right? It's, <laughs> it's not happening, people, as another one just drops over and dies. So have you had any colleagues that have had negative uh, repercussions as a result of getting it? In terms of Adverse effects oh, or yeah, adverse effects, anything like that. Do you know of anyone personally? Yeah. I mean, there were people that I, that I worked with cause most of them, obviously they, they got it and they got it almost as soon as it was available. Um, and no, nobody there I don't think had, you know, let's say incredibly serious reactions like you're hearing. Um, but definitely, definitely significant reactions. And I've heard about people, um, friends, family members, and things that have had very significant reactions to it. I mean, I think a lot of people probably have, if you, if you think about it enough, or if you, you know, you might not initially realize that the person had the, had the thing or not, but, um, you know, I think more, 
people that not probably had know somebody or that have been impacted uh, by it for sure. So my question is, but what what has happened to critical thinking in the science space? What has happened to the capacity for logic and reason in spotting fallacies? And if it is true that, for example, in the field of creating this injection, that it really, I, I have a feeling it started much earlier than they say it did. But regardless, knowing what what's out there in the news and knowing that we have no long-term study on anything, like I would never consider it regardless of the studies, mm -hmm. but what has happened to the scientist's capacity to logic that out and to understand that this is not a good idea for your children, for a pregnant woman, for, for anybody? Like, where is the critical thinking? Yeah, it's, it's seemingly gone. Um, everybody is, especially in science, but clearly outside of science, is very much struck and stuck on new technologies, right? I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that have been interested or taken the thing just because, oh, it's, it's some, it's a new technology. It's a new kind of therapeutic intervention, you know, thing that's out there. So they just wanted to do it. You know, there's just a fixation in inside industry too, on new kinds of technologies and out of that an over-reliance on the information that you're getting from those technologies. And then you're still leaning on, a lot of faulty assumptions and at the end of the day nobody really wants to ask the difficult questions and come up with the proof that these things are are real or, or meaningful and you just keep moving along and you know I mean so much of this the last couple of years is just bred out of fear right and you just stop thinking rationally when you're when you're trapped in a cycle of fear and you know scientists believe that all of the same things that were that people are being told about the science most scientists believe these things it's belief more than anything else because all you have to do is search and look at the evidence to find out what is actually what there is or isn't proof of um, it, it comes down largely to just belief and an inability to ask questions, which I think derives from how people are, are trained and educated, which of course starts at a young age. You look at what has happened to the education of our kids. I have three young kids and I'm terrified when I see their curriculum and how it's changing and the things that they're being taught or not taught or, you know, and, you can clearly see if you follow that out, how you then get to a point later in life that you're more accepting of other things as you get in, you advance in your education. And then next thing you know, you find yourself at, as a scientist at a lab bench and you've just accepted everything that everybody's told you along the way and never questioned anything. And so therefore why start now? Right. And you just work off of that and keep building on top of that until you have, you create a monster, so to speak, right? <laughs> sounds pretty unscientific to me. I don't know if you could be more unscientific. Mm -hmm. Whereas, but, but that's a thing. I think it's a matter of grooming and 
just as a side note, have you ever considered pulling your kids or looking for some alternative or not subjecting them to the system? Yeah. I mean, my, my kids aren't in public schools. That's, that's for sure. And we've, we had them in a, a private school, but it, you know, it turned out that that even that school due to the kinds of funding they were accepting, their curriculum was getting influenced by things like the department of education and, and other things. And so their curriculums are shifting. So we're now looking to, can, you know, find other, uh, solutions where there won't be that influence and i'm guessing eventually i'm going to run out of real estate on that and wind up having to just pull them all together but yeah. I, you know i think as parents have to if, if you haven't already you need to take a leading role in understanding what your kids are being what your kids are up against these days because it's it's incredible it's horrifying i even just saw here in alberta recently some of the curriculum in the sex education and it was on like porn, normalizing porn, and Ugh. just it's just beyond just the whole gender thing, but normalizing pornography and saying that it's okay. Like, this is not okay. This is child abuse. This is evil. And yeah, so I have a 13 year old boy who's never been to school, ever, very intentionally. Wow. Very thankful that that was the good for you. Yeah. No, I've been on this path for a long time. So when did you start uh, questioning things? I know you said it in another interview you've listened to that you've been questioning for a long time, but was there some kind of a pivotal moment that made you think, huh, wait, something's not right here? Or is this just your general nature? Um, I've, I've always been somewhat of a skeptic. Even as, even as a kid, I was the kid that never shut up and never stopped asking questions. And I guess that translated right on through as I decided I wanted to be a scientist for some crazy reason, and then continued to ask questions because I thought that's what scientists were supposed to do and continually was confronted by things that just didn't make sense, didn't add up. I mean, it, and it started right, I guess, at my first job uh, out of my undergrad work, which was in an HIV lab. And I was confronted with things that didn't make sense about how viruses and HIV were supposed to work and dug into that and basically kept, have kept asking questions ever since. And, you know, there were some significant events that occurred on the way that really opened my eyes further. I mean, obviously the, the whole COVID thing really kind of sealed the, the door and kind of affirmed a lot of my suspicions and, and questions for so many years. But I mean, even before that, uh, I was really starting to question a lot about the medical system, about the industry, about, um, so it's been kind of a long time coming little by little. Um, yeah. So was it, how was it for you to go to work every day? Wasn't that, wasn't there a little bit of, uh, misalignment in what you were doing daily and what your true values were or how did that work? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess naively I thought that I could just kind of be a thorn in everybody's side and ask questions and push back and poke and prod and maybe try to c convince some people that we needed to do something different. Clearly I was <laughs> out of, uh, alignment with something there because that didn't work out so well. But um, 
I certainly tried. I certainly asked a lot of questions in my day-to-day -day work of all different people, whether it was my colleagues all the way up through my boss's senior leadership. Um, you know, most people didn't want to entertain it. Um, probably cost me opportunities. Oh, well, you know, um, I, I didn't, my main concern was always, you know, is there a way I can operate, I guess, in this system and, and try to get to the truth, try to find a way to do real science in this system. And when push came to shove, it just, it, it doesn't seem like there's a way to make that happen anymore. And look what's happened. I mean, anybody that has questioned and stood up and pushed back against these mandates and things, they're gone now. It kind of selected out anybody that questioned in a way. And have you received any threats or ultimatums or anything like that for you speaking out? Uh, thank God, no, not yet. <laughs> but, you know, I'm certainly aware of the potential and, and, and the dangers associated with speaking out. Um, I'm sure there's been a lot of people in comments to interviews and things that I've done that have had different opinions of things I've said. And, you know, I, I, um, my search is for the truth and I, and I try my best to walk boldly in that truth, but keep an open mind as well. And so I, I'll always respond with what I believe to be the truth, but at the same time, if somebody presents information contrary to that, I'm happy to entertain it and I'm happy to change my mind. Um, but I'm going to stand firm in what I believe to be the truth, and I'm not going to be swayed by what somebody says or thinks about me. You know, Big bullies. There's big bullies out there. Well, that sounds very scientific of you to <laughs> follow the truth and be open to that being challenged. I mean, I think that's really truly where true science lies. So in your years, have you seen, I mean, I don't know how anyone can conduct any true science when it's being funded by big pharma or whatever tech firm or whatever. And obviously the desired result and outcome is what's going to give you more money and give you more support. So how is it even possible to do any kind of untainted science? Out there? And we're living in a, in a time when, I mean, journal articles from these well-known journals that are, you know, esteemed journals that have been, they're retracting articles and they're, they're clearly publishing fake science. This word science followed thus and when is the science like isn't science how a scientific is not even say the science like where who's science why is that the only one that i get to support when there's all this other evidence over here so how does how does one even conduct an honest research program in light of where the money's coming from mm -hmm. yeah you're you're absolutely right i mean the influence of of money is such a strong barrier to doing meaningful science because if you don't do what somebody, whoever is providing the money wants you to do, you're not going to get the money. But on the other hand, even if for some reason you did get funding and then you decided to go off and do something else, you'd never, that work would never be, never see the light of day because you'd never get published by any journal of influence, right? Um, because there's, there's, so there's kind of gatekeepers on both ends of the spectrum, if you will. 
And, you know, there's, there's examples. If you look at different diseases and things where once a certain causative agent was identified, you couldn't do research to look at anything else. Then all the money going in any other direction was dried up. If you write a grant proposal wanting to look at something that didn't line up with whatever is the established causative agent or whatever, you're not going to get funded. It's not going to get approved. So you literally just can't do the research in that manner. You'd have to find other ways. And I mean, I think that's part of this is getting people to not just speak out, but to put their heads together to figure out how can we do science, real science, outside of this system in a kind of decentralized manner, but we've got to, we, if you're working with outside of the system, you've got to find ways, sources to gain all those things that you would need to do the science, the funding, the infrastructure, the, the, the tools and things. Um, but I do think science is valuable still, even though we've seen how it can mislead people at its very nature, science, science is derived from the Latin term scientia, that it literally means knowledge and it's knowledge of our world around us. And it's derived through experimentation and, obs and observation. And, you know, we, we forget that it really is just about knowledge. And so when we give, when we yield to experts and we decide we don't want to put in the effort to do this ourselves, I'm not suggesting that everybody build a lab in their house and do their own research, but just doing research, doing, you know, building to an expert, we give up that knowledge, we give up that power. And, you know, so I think that there's a lot of value in that, in understanding the world within us and around us. And there's different ways to do that. We've been led astray by a lot of the things that we believe are science. And there's, there should be other better ways to get to do real, pure science in a, in a rigorous and honest manner. But it's, but it's going to take work because you, you can't get what you need to ask real questions in the current system. You just, you'll get cut off if you try to go down a path that's not supported by the mainstream, unfortunately. So, it, it, it's a sad state of affairs that with something like science that you're supposed to be able to ask lots of questions. It's supposed to be an, an iterative process. It's supposed to have a, a high bar to get to a point where you can say that you've verified or validated anything, yet there's, you're limited by what you can act, the questions you can ask if you're looking for, to operate in the, in the system, right? So, yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult situation we find ourselves in in science these days. That's for sure. And I think I think like anything right now, we want to continue living in a free a free manner uh, without under the chains of any oppressive regime, and really in search of truth and knowledge, and just living in a way that we feel is right for ourselves without permission from anyone else we all we have to create these parallel societies right so i think this is where our creativity is going to be coming more and more important you know when there's a problem there's always a solution so that's the thing we have to 
organize together and come up with some creative solutions to these to these issues because the whole healthcare system, I mean, we know it, it's it's not serving us. It's not serving us. The science, the science, that word <laughs> serving us, like none of this is serving us. So it's gonna be interesting to see what kind of new systems emerge in the coming years. We can do that. So is that something that you are working towards with anyone right now is to create any new system? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm talking to different people um, that I've connected with. I've connected with, you know, a, an incredible number of people. I, I can't even explain it. Just incredibly good people that are that are just in search of the same kind of truths that I am and trying to find solutions and. So there, there are a lot of people that are thinking about these things and that really want to try to build out these new parallel decentralized systems that see value in doing a lot of these things, but understand the flaws of the, the current system. And so there are definitely discussions, but, you know, I think we still need more people, you know, the more kind of different uh, um, viewpoints, different experiences that people bring to the table can only strengthen um, the process because it's not just about tearing down the old system. We have to learn from the old system and kind of think about, well, what can, what can or should we incorporate from that system? But what also, you know, it's probably a lot we want to leave behind, but, you know, so the more people that have the, the different, different kinds of viewpoints. So not just scientists either. I mean, right. um, I don't want to, make it sound like I'm just saying we need scientists or we need doctors or we need this. We need people all shapes and sizes. I've, I've connected with a lot of great people who have just out of curiosity or whatever, have started to do their own research. And I think it's awesome to see people just roll up their sleeves and dig in because they want to get to the truth of it. They want to see for themselves. What, what is the date? What is the data really saying? Is there really data to support, some of these notions that have been presented to us that have been used to um, put forth all of these these tyrannies that we've been subjected to these last few years. And so they've done their own research and it's it's amazing. So there's lots of different kinds of people that are that are, that are coming together to to ask these questions and, and to start thinking about new systems. One of the beautiful gifts, I think, of the last two years is you're finding these people that you may not have ever gotten to know had you not gone through what you're going through right now. Mm -hmm. so, and considering in light of how research is conducted, what's the general validity of most of the studies out there? <laughs> yeah, well, from my own experience, I'd say the great majority are certainly lacking in their potential to be verified as being true, <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of other people that have, you know, explored this and asked this question. Um, going back to the early 2000s, there was there's actually some formal studies conducted, and they they coined the term reproducibility crisis because there was such an issue with being able to reproduce data 
So the whole thing is when you publish data, when it's peer reviewed, there's no, there's no um, component of that peer review process whereby the reviewer, regardless of what journal you're talking about, whether it's the most prestigious one, quote unquote, like science, nature, or all the way down to, you know, whatever, that they can verify or that they do attempt to verify the validity of the data that you're pre presenting to them to publish. So they're, they're judging it on various merits and biases and different things, but nobody ever checks. They just assume that you've done the work. You've done the number of replicate experiments. You've done the stuff to ensure that the data you're putting forth is valid. That's not something that's ever explored. So the whole idea is you're putting that out into the public domain and other labs, other groups should be able to test that to see if what you're claiming holds up, especially if it's something that's of value and importance and you want to, you're saying that this should be used to develop a new therapy or something like that. Then it should be, it should be tested. So what happens is these companies and other people, I've done it. You try to replicate the study, the data, and you can't come up with the same thing. You do it exactly the same way that they're outlining it in the paper. And sometimes you, you do what you think you need to do to kind of optimize things even a little bit. Doesn't work out. Well, I don't, I don't know. I see that as a big problem. A lot of scientists understand that this is something that's an issue. But the problem is they don't see why it means that the system is flawed or why the data is invalid or, you know, that it's as big of a deal as I think it really is. I mean, it, it highlights a potentially glaring issue in modern scientific research. If most of published findings are in fact false and are, yeah. as one author said, is maybe they're just measures of the prevailing bias. There's so many influences that are put on scientists that are just bred out of the system itself. That it's, it's hard to believe that you can do an independent experiment and not impart anything on it right. that's going to change it. It's, it's a, yeah. So that, that only adds to the problem, right? You can, you can, you can only do certain things. And then even when you do, there's so many influences that it winds up, it's a good likelihood that your finding isn't even true anyway. Right. Right. So interesting. So, um, question that I wanted to build up. So are there not protocols that one must follow to be able to publish? Is there, you know, there's the whole scientific method that we talk about, but I mean, is there really a scientific method? How valid is that? What you would think that there'd be some basic protocols to ensure, and then conflicts of interest, like all over the place, but are there not basic protocols? Yeah, I mean, the scientific method I don't know if people just aren't taught what it truly is or how to apply it, perhaps, but you just don't see it used either at all or minimum, you know, not very effectively these days. But that's supposed to be kind of the framework of how you come up with an idea, you derive a testable hypothesis, and then you design your experiment, which is supposed to have all the controls and rigor and you state all the assumptions that you're making and you do the experiment and you see if 
you're able to ver verify the hypothesis. Many, many times, most of the time, you shouldn't because there should be a really high bar to get to a point where you say you've verified it. And that really is, science should be an iterative, a repetitive process where you're constantly fine-tuning things and going back and redesigning experiments, testing something else. But we've just, we've gotten away from that. We've gotten to a point where Every, because of these conflicts of interest, biases, there's so much pressure to deliver, especially in fields like virology, oncology. There's so much pressure to deliver compet competition that you skip these important steps, especially going back and verifying your findings. If you get what you think you should get, if you get what somebody else wants you to get that's providing you the money or whatever, you just say, okay, and you run with it. Um, instead of really following that scientific method, I mean, and then you go a step further and even within experiments, there should be in theory, more standardized ways of doing certain things. But what you find in a lot of labs is scientists are kind of just left to their own devices. And that in itself, as noted in some of these essays about this whole lack of reproducibility is one of the sources of error that can arise when you have scientists all kind of doing their own things and designing experiments and following different protocols, it just inevitably, invariably introduces more error and more and increases the probability that a given set of data, a given finding is false. So it's more of kind of the system breeding you know, less rigorous activity, unfortunately. Were you ever urged to come up with a specific result or, you know, subtly guided to come up with a specific result in your research? Um, yeah, I mean, you're asked to, maybe it's more generate data in support of XYZ. You know, um, where again, you're, you're designing an experiment or optimizing a particular assay with, with the intention of deriving a specific outcome. It's not at all independent or, you know, you're, you're clearly influencing the system and you can easily influence a lot of things, change, tweak conditions and significantly affect the outcomes. Um, in a lot of these cases, and you're already in most laboratory settings with what's called in vitro, where you're doing testing in a in a lab, in a dish, in a tube, and whatever. It's already extremely contrived artificial systems right. that don't really have much um, translatability to an intact living human being, anyway. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a really unfortunate situation that I think a lot of scientists find them in. I mean, I've had people that literally, I've seen people actually ask a boss or a higher up, well, what do you want us to show? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> wow. you know, that kind of thing. Or, or, or I've heard stories about people that do stuff like that. You know, I mean, because that's, you know, it's who has the money, you know, you look to, well, what are the, what are the investors? You know, you get questions from investors that get funneled down through senior leadership 
that wind up on the, you know, to the scientists and you say, well, you know, this investor has this question. So can you guys figure out a way to, you know, answer it? But, you know, if you can show it in a, you know, if you cannot refute everything we've already told them, that would be good too. <laughs> so there's a lot of, a lot of games that are played in that way. That's, I mean, it, it happens a lot in industry. And I think the thing is that in the bigger companies, you're much more siloed. So maybe it's less apparent, but a smaller company, you know, you, you can't help but see this stuff because it's right there. I mean, you, you have so much more visibility to everything all the way up to the top. You're interacting with, you know, investors, senior leadership, CEO, chief scientific officer, etc. It's not just your manager, other scientists. You can see all these things. They're all, they're all interacting with you and asking, making requests of different scientists for different things. And I've seen, I've seen lots of different things, um, that you would, that would maybe range from negligence to potentially fraud. Um, there's a lot of things that a lot of companies, a lot of scientists do. that's just minimally at a minimal extent dishonest if not a lot worse because you're talking about the lives of patients these things directly influence clinical trials where you're doing experimental testing on patients that are in many times very sick and you're you're designing those trials and or getting approval for a trial based on data that's not been proven out and um and again it comes down to the the pressure to Follow through on, you know, when you have a private company with an, in private investors to, to follow through on that and gain, generate wealth or, you know, whatever. Um, there's just so much pressure. I mean, especially now with viruses and anything that really hits coronavirus, it's hard to believe that anything coming out of that wouldn't be strongly influenced by that comp competition and pressure. I've seen so many papers and things come out that have, that have been clearly rushed out, even where people will comment on them because so much is in the open source now with that work. And the authors will even come back and agree to the refutation. They'll say, yeah, you know, we had to rush this out because of the nature of it. And I agree, we can't really, these claims are kind of unfounded because we did have to rush and maybe it wasn't, we can't really make the statements with what we found being that specific to COVID because we didn't really do all the work necessary to get it done, you know? So you, if you dig enough, you can, yeah. Yeah. What is the point? And so, yeah. So the viral industry, the cancer industry, like, so I'm assuming as you connect with some of the people that you've connected with, I know you're on AlphaCast and uh, uh, what really makes you build co-author your, your whole paradigm around health, viruses, cancer must be being strongly challenged right now, I would think, I, I, if you're open to the opinions of other people and the evidence of other scientists out there. I mean, I can't imagine that must be going through a huge paradigm shift for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And, you know, I guess, I mean, part of it is having developed drugs for a long period of time and knowing and seeing firsthand how toxic these things are. I mean, I, 
I've never been a huge advocate of me, surprising it might seem for someone who's in the industry for so long, of the use of pharmaceutical drugs just be, for that reason alone, because I know how toxic they are and I know that there really is no such thing as a targeted specific drug and the side effects and all this stuff that it's so much of it is just how it's been messaged to market these things. Um, so I had a little element of that coming in, but I certainly, I've learned so much and I'm still learning so much from a lot of these people that I've, that I've connected with and these different voices in the kind of health freedom community that are willing to look at alternative strategies and largely just ways to leverage what, what the body does. I mean, we, we so quickly want to go to someone in a white coat that gives us some pill to stop whatever symptom we're having before we even think about why are we having this symptom? Is it actually benefiting us to have this symptom? Is it part of a healing process or something? Yeah. I mean, what I realized was so much of my work that I was doing when developing these drugs was just coming up with band-aids to suppress symptoms, never actually getting to the underlying thing that was going, going awry. When you look at how, look at people's lifestyles and things these days, it's no wonder that people would have a lot of different symptoms and things, things going awry as their bodies are continuously trying to adapt and detox and all these different things in, in response to what they're being bombarded with. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a bit of a paradigm shift. Um, but I'm, but I guess I would say that I had an open mind going into it because of seeing kind of how dangerous the, the world that I was in was and, um, and having family members that had been affected by it, um, also kind of opened my mind, opened my eyes to the, the dangers of the, the current medical system. Right, well, your father recently passed? Yeah, I, I lost my dad about three years ago to pancreatic cancer and, um, about a month after he was diagnosed and wow. I was wow. appalled would be probably putting it kind of nicely about at, at the treatment, the quality of treatment and everything that he received. And, um, the more, I mean, I, I, I unfortunately have had a, a lot of friends and family members that, and I think everybody, you know, it's one of those diseases that seems to affect everybody pretty proportionately, unfortunately. Um, and so I, I, I knew how deadly the drugs were. I knew how, you know, some difficult the, the treatments and therapies, but I, I hadn't been upfront face to face with the intricacies of how things were handled and everything. And where, what the folk, how the focus is, is on certain elements of the treatment process while other things are completely ignored or, you know, it, it just kind of blew me away. And that, that was definitely a very eye opening experience that strengthened my questioning for sure. Right. Well, and being in the field of cancer research, have, are you aware of all, well, first of all, you you spoke with Dr. Orlando, he will tell you that cancer is not a disease, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with German new medicine, you will know that that is a conflict shock adaptation to help you get through the adaptations to help to get through the shock and and then there's 
numerous, are you aware of the numerous amounts of other natural remedies for it out there? Like, is that something that you've looked into before? Are you aware of the, like, and the suppression and, you know, the witch hunts that people have to endure when they do have something? Because really, you are part of the system. What would that do to that industry, the cancer industry, if we were to actually stop cancer? I mean, really, considering the infrastructure, the studies, the, the, the doctors, the, the machinery, the medicine, the everything. I mean, do you think they want you to find that cure? Right. Yeah, no. People like Dr. Lando are, are amazing. Um, just doing doing incredible work. And the, the way that he thinks about things like, like cancer and stuff like that, it's just, you know, really enlightening. Um, and I, I think it supported. So again, as I was learning both in my studies, graduate studies and things and, and, you know, at the bench about cancer, even that didn't add up the way that you're taught what cancer is and how it arises and, you know, what the current, I guess, accepted theory, just like everything else, you know, there's a current accepted thing and, mm -hmm. It, it never, um, it never sat well with me, but as I explored more into, you know, what, what from the materials that I have to, what does this cancer look like? You know, I, I started to make associations with other things and I've done a lot. I've, I've done, I'm continuing to do a lot more research, looking at things like what Dr. Lando and others are saying. And, and I think, what's coming out of German new medicine is extremely interesting and very relevant and makes a lot of sense. Um, but just from what I was seeing, I was seeing a lot that paralleled healing processes. There's a lot with cancers and tumors that really parallel wound healing, healing processes. And I thought, well, isn't this amazing? And anytime you've, you see it come up, the other thing that's interesting is anytime you see it come up in, in the literature or anything, it's always caution that is cancer a wound healing you know you bring it up but then you couch it by saying well mm, it just looks like it it's not really that right no it can't possibly be part of the body's <laughs> own healing mechanisms maybe it's just coincidental that it kind of looks like it right um so the more i kind of started to look into that and see that it really kind of cemented to me that this is not, again, what we're being told and the ways in which they're claiming that cancer arises, you know, I started saying, well, how do you know that these things aren't, some of these things that they're saying that are defining how cancer arises aren't just kind of either they don't matter or they're, there was, they're, they're an after effect of all of this stuff that's going on that the cancer is doing. Yet they, you know, we want to look at it because there's this overfixation on genomics right now. So everything's got to be about this mutation, that mutation, this, you know, and so there's such an over reliance on that that that's got to be what the key is. But nobody ever thinks like, do we have the order right, or is this really how this is arising, or is this really what's, you know, again, it's in. The world that I was in, it was pretty settled science. Nobody could ask a question about that. And that's one of the things I love about the people that I've connected with. Everybody's asking all these different questions and nobody's exactly coming up with the same exact answers, but hopefully 
together, if we're all focusing on getting to some kind of truth about this, we'll all put our heads together and the different researches, different viewpoints, different approaches, and, and maybe come to something approximating, I don't know, the truth, but just something that makes a lot more sense than what we've, what we've been told for sure. And that might drive us towards meaningful. I mean, you already said there, there absolutely are things that I guess could be defined as cures that have definitely incredibly effective ways of treating it that the pharmaceutical industry certainly isn't going to tell you about because let's not forget pharmaceutical biotech, it's profiting off of innovation. You are a customer. You're not just a patient, right? So that means if you're a customer, then you're also part of a target market. And they also want a return customer, right? It's a business. You hate to think of it like that because they do such a good job marketing themselves to make you think that they're putting the patients first, that they're that that's where their interest lies. But if they truly were about cures and health, they'd run out of they'd run out of customers. <laughs> their profit margins would dry up. So they seem to have record numbers of customers these days. I would mm -hmm, say. quite mm -hmm. contrary. Yeah, and so have you ever have you ever thought of maybe teaming up with a natural health practitioner and doing research in that, like using your skill set for truth and work? Because there definitely are some amazing natural health practitioners out there and natural researchers out there. I don't know how they get their funding, really. I don't. But how do you see? Do you see yourself teaming up in that way and continue down the research path? Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to be able to do that, and I've connected with. a a few people and there's been some work that's been done um, by crowdfunding money to do it. And so I think that's a possibility um, for some things, but again, you know, it, it factors back into if, if we're, if there's a desire, if we want to create kind of a new decentralized system, are there different ways that we can look at funding, for example? Um, and actually Dr. Lando and, and Mike Winner, um, Mike Winter especially is is doing some work on a lot of new on a new decentralized um, system to potentially address some of those kind of questions and needs. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of new solutions to these to these problems come out in the near future. They're already starting to come out that hopefully will enable more collaboration, more research and to, to be able to ask these kinds of questions outside of the system. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very much open to that. I'd love to be able to actually put my skills and experience to good use for once and not. <laughs> and how maybe the body can go right and not how it can go wrong, perhaps. Mm. And also, like, it's so ridiculous. I just tell people all the time, if we would just step back and like, generally, the, the answers to our problems are not that difficult. Stop poisoning the water, the air, the soil, you know, stop poisoning and like everything is fake and return to nature, return mm -hmm. to nature and look at and, and looking at the emotional, like, I mean, look at our, the emotional climate of the general population, especially over the last two years, never mind what it's been going towards, right? So, I mean, there's so many opportunities to explore. Imagine having a, a, a a lab like Dr. Orlando doing all these other interesting things, bringing in frequencies and resonance and 
you know, shapes and numbers and all these things. It's such an amazing, interesting field. Yeah. Imagine if everybody was putting their energies towards that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you've got your S4HF in the background. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it stands for Scientists for Health Freedom. So when I was let go, um, I immediately wanted to try to connect with other scientists that were in this same situation. And so I said, is there a community, a resource where scientists are connecting or, or people that were interested in talking about science and asking these difficult questions? And, and I couldn't really find any good, good spaces. And so I just said, I'll create one. So I created this community and, um, you know, I say I basically kind of planted the seed and it's kind of organically grown and we're at a couple hundred people. It started, I started it on Telegram and have now expanded to a couple different places and I'm looking to continue to expand as I consider different ways to support people, encourage and support people that are willing to stand up and speak out. So it's, it's about having a community that, you know, a place that scientists and anybody, again, not just scientists, um, can come and gather and explore these things and ask difficult questions, have um, rational debates without, you know, being being chastised for things or being poked, you know, open, honest debate. Um, and also hopefully encourage people to speak up. And, and I know it's not easy. I know there's lots of things that keep people from speaking out. Um, and hopefully we can at least overcome some of those barriers. I know at the end of the day, some people just might not want to have a, a, a spotlight cast on you. Right. So, but maybe there's ways we can work around that too. Um, so I want to come up with, or not come up with, but I'm coming up with ideas of ways to, um, promote people that are willing to speak out. So having discussions with scientists and other kinds of people, um, to make sure that anybody that wants to speak out, that your voice is able to be heard, you know, to build a platform for that, but also to provide support in other ways. I mean, people are, that want to speak out, if you're still on the inside, well, then you're going to be risking your job, your livelihood. If you've got a family to support or whatever, then we need to come up with a way to help you support you so that, you know, if you're putting yourself at that risk, so financially, and that's where then these different ideas similar to how do we fund, you know, lab work and experiments, you know, we need to think of new ways to generate, to fundraise and support people that are willing to, to, to put themselves at risk and, and speak out. So that's definitely part of this too. Um, but it's, it's largely a space for people that are willing to question the science, right. <laughs> and to support those that, that are. And, uh, I, I really hope I can encourage more to, cause We've got a, a great number of people that have come out, and I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. But I think the, the more that are willing to stand up and speak out and the more that are willing to put their heads together to think about what's what's next, we can only benefit from that. You know, Because at the end of the day, 
it's not just about what we do here and now and what kind of solutions we're able to come up with now. They've, they've got to last into the future. I, I want a lasting solution that can ensure that my kids, their kids, you know, I'm not even anticipating seeing necessarily a, a time where we say, okay, we've succeeded because the idea is we're, we're planting seeds for, for generations down the road to have a fighting chance. And that's what we have to, that's what we have to keep in mind is these future generations. I mean, if we were to just follow the plan for this next generation, we, we're going to have nothing left. There will mm -hmm. be no grandchildren for us. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Your kids are young. My son's only 13. Like there will be no grandchildren. If we were to just follow the rules and follow along, there'll be no natural reproduction, no natural food production, no robust mental and physical health. That's what we need to do is think about those generations. Think about your great grandparents and what did they do for each other? What did the tribes do? What do the natural people do for they, they They always have the future generations in mind. We have our next meal in mind. And that's it, right? We, we don't mm -hmm. even think about that. It's just mind blowing. So, what would you say to someone who says, "Trust the science"? <laughs> well, clearly, I'd say don't trust the science. Um, and if nothing else, because we we have to be empowered to to gain gain this knowledge ourselves. I mean, if nothing else. You see how much has been thrown at us that is questionable and what that can do when we when we willfully accept it so if nothing else use a lot of discernment and you know empower yourself by by asking questions by not just trusting what somebody else or some entity is presenting to you Verify it yourself before you are willing to give up precious freedoms and understand how much power you do have that you don't need to be afraid. And really so much of what we accepted over the last two plus years really was entirely dependent on us acquiescing to it. And if we would have just said no at any given time, we could have unraveled the whole thing. I mean, I found out locally where I live that um, the county was trying to impose these mask mandates and things. And somebody eventually asked the question, is there actually any kind of enforcement mechanism behind all this? And they had to admit that there wasn't, that it was really dependent on the private businesses to enforce it. And once that came to light, well, all the businesses said, we, we don't want to be on the hook. for this. So nobody it fell apart. I said, well, okay, well, then this really isn't a real thing because it's entirely dependent on us just doing it, adhering to it. That's the thing. Yes, it depends on our voluntary compliance. Mm -hmm. That's the scary thing is that the businesses and the people will ensure compl compliance of the others. So this, we're living in time where, you know, you have to be concerned about your neighbor is going to say about you if they see you not following the rules. So that's interesting. So did was there a strong push against mass mandates where you are? Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, maybe not as much as I would have. <laughs> I would have hoped. Um, I, I live in a state that was largely there was no statewide mandates. 
or anything of that nature. It just happened to be in the county that I live because it's close proximity to a big city. There's a lot of, you know, outside influences and things, but largely the state was, you know, pretty free. It just happened to be where the county that I lived in, we had people in charge that really wanted to push these mandates and things. But fortunately, there were a lot of parents and business owners that were negatively affected and just said, we've had enough and pushed back. And eventually we were, you know, they cast enough light on it and showed what it is. And there was a big land, kind of landmark court case that undid, stripped the health departments of a lot of power. But ultimately, you know, it just came down to the realization that it was us all along, us agreeing to it was what kept it going. And if people, there was never going to be this thing of you, if you just do it, then they'll, they'll let you have that power back or they'll let you, you know, they'll release. We agreed to it. We needed to realize that we were the ones that were kind of policing ourselves with it in the way. And all we needed to do was say no. And it was kind of funny because once that occurred to people, then everybody kind of stopped, at least the majority of the people kind of stopped doing it. But, you know, while it was unsure, a lot of people just kind of went along to get along kind of. Yes. I, I said, uh-uh, and my, made my kids clear on what was going on. But there were a lot of people that just, I think they just were caught in the middle and didn't know how to react and just went along with it, unfortunately. But once they saw, oh, this really isn't a thing that we need to, okay, fine. <laughs> you know. And I hope they, you know, I hope people are aware of this stuff now more and won't let it happen again because don't think for half a second that this is the end. Oh, goodness. You know? <laughs> no. As you know. Oh, and you are. Sorry? Is that, is that where you are? I'm sorry. Are you in Missouri? Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. And so how many, like, cause we have still, it's alarming how many people here are still masked up driving by themselves with a mask on, <laughs> walking with a mask on. It is alarming. I can't even believe my eyes. So how many States actually never really had a statewide mask mandate? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head, but it was, there was a good number that never actually you know, maybe 20 or... That's, that's huge. Uh, yeah, I mean... People don't even... I remember seeing a meme, well, not a meme, just a picture of someone saying, not not afraid, just, what do you say, just educated. And they're, that's what they're wearing on their mask, right? right? Like, just educated. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Uh, no, no. So, yeah, that's the thing. People, we're <laughs> not... Close to the end. They are not stopping. The pressure is not stopping the the rules and regulations. And they kind of they kind of back off and then ramp it up and back it off. And this is how they make people. This is how they break people down, right? This oh yeah. They do. They say they're giving you a break, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, none of the mechanisms that allowed them to push this stuff in the first place have been repealed or undone or anything like that. They've just relaxed it. Of course, uh, you know, none of it was real in the first place. We always had the power to just say no. I mean, what are they going to do? Arrest, you know, 
I mean, hundred, couple hundred thousand people where, you know, in the county that I live or a million, there's a million people in the county, whatever. I mean, you're going to, if half of them say no, you're going to arrest us all. I mean, no. That's the whole <laughs> point. And that's why I'm so shocked by the compliance, by the doctors. Like that, that's, I'm, I'm, I just have no respect, no respect for these people. They see what's happening. You can't, you mm -mm. have to choose to decide to not go down that path at this point in time. And it's right. Numbers. We have the power in our numbers. There are many more people, many of us, rather than the, the rule makers out there. So, yeah. So, where do you see the the future of your field now as it is? Do you see it growing and sustaining itself? Do you see it falling apart and and the truth rearing its ugly head and falling? Like, where where do you see that going? Yeah, I, I assume you're talking about the field that I was in. Yeah, the field of science <laughs> in general and research and mainstream and big pharma and is there longevity to it at this point in time? Well, it's certainly seen quite a boom over the last couple of years with, with the whole coronavirus thing. I mean, every company that has any potential applicability of the work they do to attempt to pretend that they can do something to address the quote unquote virus has certainly tried. I mean, there were even people at the company that I used to be at that said, Hey, we develop antibodies. Maybe we should be doing something to try to um, contribute to this whole thing and, you know, and, and get some money and stuff, you know, develop some drugs or, or tools out of it. And that's how we can kind of, you know, break into that and carve off a piece for ourselves. I mean, everybody's looking at it as a way to, you know, to make something. Um, and so for now it's, it's below, you know, it's kind of, increasing in response to that i think there's been you know new companies and things that have spawned out of it but who i, I don't know if it'll truly i mean the, i think the more that we shine light on the the truth of this and just how ridiculous a lot of the science has been that's driven all of this you know hopefully that'll put a damper on on what's gone on but i think they're going to do what they do i mean they they are Especially pharma, I mean, they control so much and they're so seemingly self-sustaining. There's there's such big entities. I don't see much stopping them at this point. Um, so I think they're going to keep trying to grow, keep trying to, I mean, do different things and come up with different things to make people believe they need to keep using their products. And I mean, certainly they gained a whole new group of people that are going to be dependent on their products for a long time, unless they shift their paradigms. That's for sure. And so you said, I remember hearing you said in another podcast that you did your research into the shot and that's why you didn't take it. So are your colleagues not doing the same kind of research? What did your research findings show you? And so is that, so you did it more because of, the shot itself or did you do it more because of your religious beliefs or was it a combination it, it was it was definitely a combination um i wanted to know i mean my my religious beliefs and my gut were were telling me strong things against it and but i knew i had the ability as a scientist to to ask questions to to really investigate it for myself to see, you know, is there any validity to this? Does it, you know, does it actually warrant 
anybody actually testing it or is it really just a complete box of unknowns that is much more likely to harm people than do anything of any kind of benefit. So I, I investigated some of the companies that were doing it and said, you know, what's the history behind this technology? Um, the, the idea behind it, I mean, you know, it kind of spawned from um, gene, I mean, it's a gene therapy at the heart of it. I mean, I hate to, the word therapy is so weird because you make think you're doing something good to treat somebody, but right. that's yeah. a misnomer. But yes. gene therapy, I mean, gene, the whole reason for the the advent, the the development of this new technology with respect to mRNA and stuff is because of what an unmitigated disaster gene therapy had been up until that point. I mean, almost every time it's been attempted to be used in its original kind of uh, manifestation, it's, it's been a disaster. You've had a lot of deaths. You've had a lot of people that have gotten cancers and things. And, and it's just been a disaster. So they tried to come up with a, another way based on different people's research and that how you manipulate these MRNAs. But I had done a lot of research and a lot of utilized uh, different kinds of techniques similar to that to generate tools that I've used for study in the lab, generating recombinant cell lines that express different proteins and things using similar strategies. So I kind of knew what, what they were attempting to do. And that, and that in itself, I was kind of like, well, I don't really think I want <laughs> that we need to be doing that in a human for starters. But even if we thought it was a good idea, can we really do this in a safe manner is what they're proposing, how they're doing this safe at all. Can we really believe that it's not going to, you know, be significantly disruptive and da da da. And so, you know, I just dug into it as best I could with what, with what evidence was available. And I didn't, I couldn't find anything that suggested to me that, that it was safe or that we really knew what what was going to happen because it was so new. I mean, this technology was originally tested not as a vaccine, obviously, and it was tested in, in cancer and I think some other rare diseases. And it was, again, it was a disaster. It was incredibly at dosages where it should have been required to be quote unquote therapeutic, it was incredibly toxic. And then when you dose down to where you could get a safety window, it wasn't effective at all at, at anything. You know, if it was in the first place, who knows? But right. so that's part of the whole thing with this is it was a completely, it was something that had a tremendous amount of promise that people, people, companies raised an incredible amount of money, but could never deliver on it because it kept failing. So they just, they needed something else to generate interest in it and they kind of repurposed it and voila <laughs> there you go vaccine and the, what shocks me is the fact of how few people question the need for such a mass inoculation campaign in the first place considering mm -hmm. what the death rates for 2020 were relative to past years clearly showing that there is no pandemic people that we mm -hmm. are uh, I mean, other than I think some excess poisoning happening in some pockets, you know, there's there's nothing of the sort going on, which is just it blows me. It's like okay, we're we're not even talking about 
the fact that what is this push in the first place? This crazy, mm -hmm. crazy push, not questioning that, that it's everywhere, right? And then what I thought would really stop the whole campaign is when it got to the kids. And oh, I yeah, I thought for sure. Oh, yeah. I cannot believe how willing people are to put their children forth as guinea pigs just so they mm. can move on with their normal lives and not be questioned, not be judged by other people, to be able to play their sports or whatever. And just, you know, it's, yeah, that is the really sad part of this whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking as a parent. I mean, I can't even imagine trying to justify that in any way. I, I mean, I just, yeah, it's mind boggling, it but is. it shows you what fear can do. Right. It's, yeah. This is how you govern a people. You get, right. them, you get them confused and you get them scared and then it's easy. And any, any tranquil leader knows this. And we all had kind of a vision of what we thought, you know, based on what Hollywood and stuff told us that what a pandemic should look like. So then when, when those things are, those terms are thrown around, those things are, you know, it evokes a certain response and you think, oh, well, this is what it's got to be without actually looking at reality. Are people actually dropping dead in the streets? Are people actually, you know? Right. Right. It's like, uh, how about you turn off the TV and let your experience inform your decision and your opinions, not what you're being told to, to think. Right. And Hollywood, that's funny that you bring that now that you bring it up, that also they play a huge role in shaping our opinions and our ideas of the world as well. Big role. In that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add? I think I, I think I've covered all the things that I was curious about. Um, what, is there any, any other messages that you want to share with my audience before we go today? Um, just that I'm so appreciative of you having me on. And it's been, it's been great to discuss this stuff with you and have a chance to hopefully shed some more light on all of this, on this, the current and unfortunate state of science. And I hope that, that people will realize that um, it can be a lot more approachable. And it's, there's so much about it that's been kind of clouded in mystique and there are these barriers with terminology and things. But once you get past that, it is a lot more approachable than people think. And you really should be empowered to, to take that knowledge back because that's, that's, there's so much power. I mean, if, if we do that, then we realize that we do have so much more control over our lives than, than we realize. And we won't just acquiesce to these credible uh, mandates and demands that are foisted upon us. Um, and then in turn, we can look to the future generations and help make sure that our kids aren't, are learning how to think critically, that they're learning logic, that they're, that they're being empowered, that they're being, um, they're having these skills developed in them to protect themselves and to empower themselves as, as, as they grow. And then hopefully to, to carry that on with their children and so, so on and so forth. Because we didn't get where we are just out of the last couple of years. I mean, this was something that was a multi-generational thing of changing how we're educated, changing how we think about things. So how do we, how do we truly respond to that? And 
undo that, we kind of have to almost reverse that process in a way um, and really make sure we're nurturing our own children and we're, we're, we're building that future foundation again in a way that promotes free thought, empowerment, knowledge, and, and instead of closing it off and, you know, I mean, it's not surprising that we get to where we are when you look at kind of where, where we've been and how we've been shaped in such a deliberate way. And I think if we are able to step into the light and realize that, you know, it's okay to, to have some fear, right? Courage is an absence of fear. It's right. accepting that the fear is there, but, we'll, but when we're called to do something, you know, nobody asked, nobody woke up one day and said, you know what, I'd really love to, to wear a mask or be mandated to do this or that. But it's how we respond when it's foisted upon us. You know, I certainly didn't ask to be tossed out of my, my job and my career and everything, even though I was asking a lot of questions and I'm actually quite um, relieved to not be there anymore. But, you know, nobody asked for that. But it's I think it's how we respond to that for our own sake and, and for our children that really, that really is going to define all of us and, and determine what our future is going to be. It's been very revealing. The response has been very revealing for the general population. Yes, that's the thing to drive home is like, it's for the children. Be that example for your children, right? You want curiosity and questioning and critical thinking, and you don't want a yes man or a yes girl. You want, you want, you know, critical human beings that are able to make their own decisions when are, have the capacity for knowledge, not told what to learn, but have the capacity to know how to learn whatever it is they want to learn. So thank you for that. Thank you for focusing on that one because that is one of the, the biggest topics near and dear to my heart, just the future generations, the future of our children and creating healthy, well of us, robust human beings. So thank you for your time, Mike. I really appreciate you sharing with me today. Yeah, thank you. Bye, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Oh, Mike, by the way, do you have a website or anything that people can go to? Is there something that you have that for the general public or is that or not? Or your Telegram channel? Do you want to share any of those things? I have. Yeah, I actually have. Um, what is it called now? I, I created one of those. Uh, it's a flow code page. You know, this is one of those things. I'm learning all this stuff <laughs> kind of on the fly here where you can put all the links to all the different oh, sites. and things. So I've created one of these for Scientists for Health Freedom that has links to all of the pages and things. So the telegram one where that, where, where it kind of started and then there's pages on or groups, I should say on Gab and MeWe. And then I've created video channels on a number of different platforms where I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, as I start to have discussions and stuff with people and I've already started to kind of promote different scientists and people speaking out. So, um, I think it's a flow code. I don't know. And then it's just scientists for health freedom. Okay, well, I'll get the link and, and I'll put that. that on the on the page in the notes so that people can find that. Yeah, because that's kind of easier than trying to give you, well, this is Telegram and this is... Right, right. okay, <laughs> we'll do that. Okay, that would be great. Check, it out. Check, it, check his work out. If you're a scientist, if you're interested in any shape or form, check out what he's got out there because I know there's going to be information for everyone. It's not just about the scientist community. It's all of us. We have to come together mm -hmm. with our critical and curious minds and create the new world that we want to live in. Okay, Mike, thank you so much for your time today.